Welcome to Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care, an educational podcast for individuals needing long-term care and their families. Join us as we talk with national experts and advocates about strategies you can use in the pursuit of quality long-term care. Consumer Voice has long been concerned with the use of antipsychotics and other drugs in long-term care, as they are too often used as chemical restraints in place of providing adequate care. In this episode, Consumer Voice Executive Director Lori Smetanka is joined by award-winning writer and director Susie Singer-Carter and former federal prosecutor Rick Mountcastle to discuss their upcoming documentary, No Country for Old People. Susie and Rick are collaborating on the film to promote conversations about the improper treatment and poor conditions many individuals in long-term care endure and spur action to address these failures in care. The documentary was inspired by Susie's mother and the ordeal she experienced in what was advertised as a five-star long-term care residence in Los Angeles. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care, a podcast of the National Consumer Voice for quality long-term care focused on promoting and achieving quality care, quality of life, and protection of rights for all individuals receiving long-term care and services. My name is Lori Smetanka, and I'm the Executive Director of the Consumer Voice. So today we have some very special guests joining us. We have Susie Singer-Carter, an Mm award-winning film director and producer. Her last film, My Mom and the Girl, was an award-winning Oscar-qualified dramedy that screened in Cannes and took home two film awards. And highly recommend that you watch that. You will be really glad that you did. And we also have joining us today, Rick Mountcastle, a formal former federal and state prosecutor who investigated and prosecuted the drug manufacturer Purdue Pharma and its top executives in a civil lawsuit for, for the false marketing of OxyContin and their contribution to the opioid crisis in America. And you can see more about Rick's work on this case in the series premiere episode of Dopesick. So Susie and Rick have teamed up to produce a documentary telling the story of Susie's mother's experience living in a nursing home, which unfortunately was not a good one in what she had hoped it would be. And Consumer Voice is supporting their efforts. We're serving as a fiscal sponsor for the program, and we wanted to share information about this important documentary with all of you today. And so we are really delighted, Susie and Rick, to have you with us. Thank you for joining. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lori. Really, really appreciate having this platform and having you as our partner. And we we love you. And thank you so much again. Well, thank you to both of you for the work that you're doing. So let's start, Susie, by telling us a little bit about your mother and how she came to be living in a nursing home. Right. Well, my mom, my mom was diagnosed 17 years ago. She passed last year. So she had she had Alzheimer's on the long road. And um, like a lot of pay, a lot of people with Alzheimer's and dementia can be a very long road. And so she eventually ran out of funds. And, um, and you know, indicative of that disease, you end up needing more care, more right. than most families can handle. So she ended up being in a long-term, long-stay facility. Right. And um, how long had she been living in there? Um, because I know you started recognizing that things weren't quite going the way they should um, not long after that. So how long had she been in the facility? Well, to be honest, the facility was a five-star facility here in Los Angeles. She moved there five years before. And mm-hmm. I was I was ecstatic because it was, for all intents and purposes, and their reputation was, was you know, 
pristine. And I thought I can sleep at night because I love mm-hmm. my mom so much. And, and I didn't want to hover over her and I wasn't, and I, I didn't want to, I, I just really believed that she was getting the best of care. And what happened was when COVID happened, that, mm. that pulled the curtain back for everybody. And you really started to see what was really happening and, and, you know, and all the things that I, signs I should have picked up on before I took as well, that's what happens as opposed to no, that's what shouldn't happen. So mm-hmm. then I started seeing it happen more rapidly to more people than my mom. And then just, you know, realizing, no, this it's, it's not, it's wrong. It's just yeah. wrong. Well, and you raise a port, an important point, you know, in the sense that you mentioned it was a five-star facility. So you did your research mm-hmm. um, before you decided on a place for your mother. And, and so many families do that whenever possible. They look at the star ratings. They look at what's going on in that facility. They check on nursing home care, compare. They talk to their friends and family members. Um, and so you know, you really were hoping that you were going to get the best care possible and were relying on that as a family member. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I remember going in, we'd always go once a week, my, my daughters and whoever else, you know, we, it was a party time. We'd go and visit my mom and sing and, and I would notice things and think, well, you just start to, to rationalize or, you know, or you'd see her, her nurse or her CNA rather, who was a vocational CNA, but being extremely brusque and extremely, you know, um, disrespectful in a way in terms of her care. And, and I would talk to other CNAs and say, you know, is, 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 does she not like my mom or is there a problem there? And then, you know, you'd get the the skinny from the other Mm -hmm. CNAs, right. And you'd find out and you'd go, well, how do I deal with that? Because you feel so vulnerable. You feel that, if, if that person's going to be the one taking care of your mom and you can't change that, how can you make this situation better? You feel between a rock and a hard place because you, you feel, well, maybe she already is not happly there. So now she's going to be doubly, there's going to be retaliation in, in, in a better, you know, in other words. Mm-hmm. And, and so you try to, to, to mollify it, but, but you really don't know how, because we are, unless you're in it, you don't really know the, the system. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think that that's true. And and Rick, um, to bring you into the conversation, um, in your role as a prosecutor at the state and federal level, had you had much experience with long-term care, long-term care is- issues or facilities? Well, Laurie, my experience with long-term care facilities, what people call nursing homes, actually began in 2007, right at the end of the Purdue prosecution. We received um a False Claims Act case involving Abbott Laboratories and what Abbott Laboratories was doing, um, as we learned from the investigation that took uh, a number of years, what Abbott Laboratories was doing was uh, promoting a drug called Depakote for off-label, that is unapproved use in um, residents in nursing facilities who are suffering from agitation related to dementia. And mm-hmm. so they were basically using it as a chemical restraint. Yeah, uh, They were using it as an alternate to um, antipsychotics, which the government had begun regulating. And so what they came in and did was 
uh, to sell Depakote as a way to avoid those regulations of antipsychotics uh, being used as chemical restraints. Uh, Depakote had no value for the treatment of agitation in uh, elderly dementia patients in nursing homes. Its only effect was somnolence. So it put them to sleep. And of course, if someone's asleep, they're going to be less agitated. Right. So we so that was my first experience with how large companies, large corporations exploited our elderly in nursing homes. Uh, and, and that case was finally resolved in 2012 with Abbott Laboratories pleading guilty to a felony uh, violation of an FDA uh, rule and with the payment of uh, both criminal and civil penalties totaling $1.5 billion. Mm -hmm. Now, in the midst of that investigation in 2009, um, I got a call from um, an attorney at the Health and Human Services Office of General Counsel who said, there's a survey of a nursing home in your district in the Western District of Virginia, I was with the U.S. Attorney's Office then, that's 240 pages long that you need to take a look at. And I went and looked at it, read the report, the survey report, and saw what in my view was a house of horrors of um, complete neglect and abuse. Uh, everything, you know, the pressure sores, multiple pressure sores, uh, lack of sanitary living conditions, uh, lack of patient care in this uh, facility in rural Virginia, mm -hmm. in the far southwest corner of Virginia. And I said, this is horrific. This, you know, Medicare and Medicaid, we're paying for this. This, this has got to be a crime. So I opened a criminal investigation of that facility in 2009. And so that, that, that's, that, and that, and that case took five, actually six years. It finally resolved in 2015 with the conviction of the owner who lived in Miami. It was an absentee owner who, this was one of a, a, a portfolio of nursing homes for a, uh, investment purposes, uh, and the conviction of uh, the corporate uh, uh, vice president who lives in Ohio um, for racketeering charges, which mm -hmm. was a way that I found to get to these people that were calling the shots and making these decisions resulting in these horrible conditions, but were living out of state. So mm -hmm. that is how I kind of was introduced to a, a actual exploitation of, by a nursing home. Mm -hmm. Well, in those cases, which um, frankly are far too common, um, even today, I mean, the cases that you worked on are really critically important. They set some important precedents. Um, they established some important standards that, you know, we still are pointing to today. Um, and, uh, you know, we at the Consumer Voice have long been concerned about the use of drugs like Depakote, antipsychotic drugs, the use of chemical restraints, which is far too often used in place of providing good care. And I think that's what you saw in your cases. And um, for, unfortunately, Susie, I think that's what you were seeing was happening with your mother to some extent. Mm -hmm. Isn't that right? Correct. Yeah. That's why I reached out to Rick after when I watched Dope Sick and I saw in the, the final episode and they hinted to his next case, which was the Abbott Labs case. And, and my mother had been a victim of Depakote. I didn't even know mm -hmm. she was on it until 
I was got, I received a call from her private doctor who said, you know, your mom is on a drug that's a black box drug called Depakote. And do you know what it is? And I said, not at all. I didn't even know. And mm-hmm. I thought, she, I this was eight years ago. I thought that her, I thought it was just the progression of Alzheimer's. I really did. She had mm-hmm. just, just shut down. And, and when we got her off of it, she came back to some extent, but she never walked again and she was incontinent. So it really changed the quality of her life. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's what we see, you know, with so many people and um, that it, it has some really terrible effects on many people in, in terms of, you know, as Rick, you said, it uh, um, the somnolence that you see, it, it causes other types of care issues and concerns um, with respect to um, inability, they they start losing different abilities that they have, you know, physical abilities, cognitive abilities from these drugs. Um, and too often they're used um, in instead of having enough staff, instead of providing good care. And, and that's ultimately what we're seeing in a big way is that instead of having the proper care with the proper training, um, particularly with people with dementia, who as their disease progresses, um, can sometimes provide challenges in terms of the care that needs to be provided. Um, But when you're properly trained and you know how to provide person-centered care, um, it's manageable and you know how to to perform your tasks well, how to meet the needs of the person, how to ensure that they are having some quality of life and getting quality of care. Um, But too often, that's not what happens. Um, So Susie, as you um, were seeing the the things that were happening um, in your mother's nursing home. And obviously you were concerned um, by those that I'm sorry about her passing last year. Um, What made you decide that you wanted to tell the story of what happened to your mother and, and do this documentary? I think, you know, I, first of all, I believe in storytelling and I think that storytelling is powerful. And I know that you know, just 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 in general, I know that as a filmmaker, but also watching the effect of my mom and the girl on on people and, and my ability to mm-hmm. to, you know, just a little bit move the needle on on the bias and the ableism against dementia and Alzheimer's and really touch a lot of people and it continues to. So I knew that that was powerful. I was in the throes of it and I had Rick as a guest on my podcast, which is Love Conquers Alls. And mm-hmm. um, because I wanted to talk about his experience with, with you know, Depakote and that and, and get it more out there because people don't know until you're in it and then you're playing whack-a-mole, right? And mm-hmm. so when I asked him straightforward, what can we do about this situation? First of all, he was the first one to tell me that I was up against a systemic issue. And I didn't, I like, well, what? Like, what is a yeah. systemic issue? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Please do tell. You know, I, I had no idea how deep it went. And, you know, for it, for me, it was this facility was not good. This one. I had right. no idea how far the tentacles reached. And Rick was the first one to, to bring that to my attention. Rick was the first one to tell me how, you know, financially driven this industry is and it's an industry and you know the Pollyanna that I am began to see things for what they were um as things got continued to get worse like instead of better with me advocating it just got worse and worse and worse and you mm-hmm. know 
and Rick being having this experience, you know, it, going after these bad these bad actors for so long and watching, even if he even if he prosecuted him, there was no change ultimately, right? So, and but he did advise me. He said you should really take you know have a case against these people. They, this is the only This is the only language that they speak. I'm not litigious. I couldn't I I couldn't wrap my head around it. But I I really. I really like this man so much as a human being. Like, I, first of all, I couldn't believe he was a prosecutor because to me, he was so gentle and caring and just, because I, I, I had watched it before I met him, that that whole series. And I thought, how are these the same people? I don't get it. But <laughs> but he, you know, so I, I, you know, he he very much was mentoring me through this process. And I, like most of us who are trying to take issue with our legal issue, with it, with egregious, you know, act, things that are happening to our family members, we that whole system is a big mess. Our legal system because it doesn't really protect the vulnerable; it protects, you know, the perpetrators. Mm -hmm. So, I had a lot of people turn me down here in Los Angeles, and I finally ended up going to Canner, which is, mm -hmm. you know, an organization that you work with up in, in right. Northern California. Um, can you please say the the uh, what the acronym stands for? Because I always screw it up. Oh, it's, sure. It's it, California, it California Advocates for Nursing Home Reform. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. And um, spoke to one of the uptake lawyers there and told him my story. Sent it, and and they they connected me with someone who I am working with, who I absolutely adore. And um, should I say no? I, should I, I shouldn't say her name, right? I don't know. Anyway, I love her. She was so amazing. And, um, you know, and I, and I, but when I spoke to Canner, they said, uh, I said, I don't think that anyone's going to take this case because this is what I was told. No one's going to take my case. And especially the place I'm at because it's beloved. And um, they said, well, who, who are these other lawyers? I told them and they said, well, they're not on our list. They can't be that good. So I suddenly saw a, a, a little bit of a light. And then I asked Rick for advice in terms of how, how can I get this woman who is, you know, the, the business model of this kind of litigation is pro bono, right? It's so mm. how will I get her to take my case? And he said, well, you're a, you're a filmmaker, show her, don't tell her. Yeah. So I spent the next two months putting together basically a, a, a video deposition, which she's, she told me after I sent it, she was going to commit to watching maybe three minutes and then ended up watching <laughs> the whole thing and said she had to represent. And then, and that's what, and then when after Rick saw, I, I vetted it with Rick first and he felt it was very powerful what I showed him. And he felt that with my experience as a filmmaker, that maybe this was the answer. Maybe mm -hmm. this is the way to at least move the needle a tiny bit. And when he told me that it made so much sense. Mm -hmm. And I thought, and, yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, go ahead. Uh, and and so, Rick, you know, what was compelling about the situation that you felt like telling the story really might be able to to push the needle and and move the care here and and move the situation forward, where you know we can hopefully you know make some meaningful change because I think that's what you're even looking for, Susie. Right? Is to totally push for change. Absolutely. Um, so, Lori, I. Um, did I've done healthcare fraud? I did healthcare fraud for over 25 years in my career as a federal prosecutor with the, with the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Western District of Virginia, and you know did large the large pharmaceutical cases, 
prosecuted the nursing home um, owners, um, you know, absentee nursing home owners, which so many of them are these days. And um, then I retired from the federal government um, after doing a lot of different things there and went to work for the state attorney general's office in Virginia. One of the things that uh, they asked me to do was kind of start looking at some of the nursing home issues in the district. I've spoken over the years to a lot of um, individuals, uh, family members uh, who have, you know, gone to see their loved ones in nursing homes, and they've I've heard many, many stories of finding their loved one had, had lost a ton of weight, was or was had been sitting in their own feces or urine for hours and hours, waiting for somebody to come and change. Call bells going unanswered. Uh, all of the things that you know, you're very well, much familiar with all of the Mm -hmm. things that make life for a resident in a nursing home completely lacking in dignity and quality and all that. And I found myself in my conversations with uh, these family members, basically having to tell them that, well, that's what happens. That's the kind of the standard of care we've gotten to. And I really got to the point where that was kind of frustrating. Yeah. There's not nobody's doing anything. And and even though I've done all of these cases, these one-off cases, nothing has changed. And so in speaking with Susie and my experience with the Dope Sick miniseries was that the way that you change you, you reach out to people in, in these times and the way that you get people educated and get people to understand what's happening and to have society as a whole want to make a change is through film and streaming services because that's what people are looking at these days. Mm-hmm. So I am interested in making getting people energized to make a change in the system. Mm-hmm. And the reason we have to get people energized to do that is because the nursing home lobby, the AHCA mainly, is so very powerful that they are going to push back and pour tons of money into fighting any kind of change, any kind of uh, standards being raised uh, in terms of staffing, any kind of transparency that's needed to find out where they're spending the money because it's not being spent on care. Uh, the only way to make that change and to fight against that, those powerful, well-moneyed sources is to educate the public and get people to, to understand what's going on. So that's mm-hmm. my view and what I'm trying to do now in, in terms of being a producer uh, in, on this uh, film, No Country for Old People. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think that you're right. It's critically important. And Um, These issues, you know, we've been battling for decades, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, as we look to move the the needle forward, um, we are almost in, you know, keep thinking it's a David Goliath versus Goliath situation, you know, where the the industry is very powerful, has a lot of money to put towards this. And, and all of the issues that you both are talking about, the, the misuse of drugs, the inadequate staffing, the need for better transparency and accountability, both in terms of who owns these facilities and who should be held responsible, but also 
um, how they spend the billions of dollars that they receive mm -hmm. in public money as well as private money. Um, people need to be demanding more and better, and we need to be holding them accountable for that. And so we, that's why we loved the idea of you doing this documentary and telling this story, because we really do, um, I think, have to create a culture change where people are saying we can do more and better. And this is not acceptable for how we are going to treat any of our loved ones. So no country for old people, you know, fits right into that. Um, absolutely. Right. And I, and, you know, I think that ageism and ableism have been, you know, a big, a big perpetrator in this problem. And, and that's because people don't know. And if you don't know, you can't do better. And there's a lack of knowledge and which is fed by ageism in our, in our collective consciousness. And, it, and, you know, so people don't know they don't. And, and the people that do know already know it. So there's a, mm -hmm. there's a lot of echo chamber situations going on and, and we're, you know, we that already know it, we look at, it's been decades where no change, you know, not much change has happened and the change that's happened is, is good, but there's still people suffering. Like my mom, my mom was literally suffering and my mom is one in a million and I'm talking suffering. This is, it's it, nobody, you wouldn't do it to an animal. You wouldn't do it to a child. You wouldn't do it to anything. I mean, it's, it's, it's awful what's going on. And right as you and I and Rick are talking right now, someone's going through the same thing. So mm -hmm. for me, I feel a sense of urgency to get it out there because we're only pow as powerful as the numbers who were as a collective, we can be powerful as constituents, we can be powerful. So everybody that listens to consumer voice and knows consumer voice already knows the issue. We have to get it out there. That's why this move, this film is so important because mm -hmm. I, my little mommy over here was just one in a million and she doesn't deserve, she didn't deserve it. And nobody else does deserve it. Nobody does. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. So um, where, where are you in the process of the, your, um, moving forward and, and, um, I don't know what, what putting a documentary involves. So, uh, tell our listeners kind of where you are in the process and, and what it takes to, to pull a documentary together and to tell a story the way, right. the way you can. Well, I'll start by telling, saying I've done both. I've done feature films and, you know, for studios and, um, and also independently and other, I've done short documentaries for the Writers Guild. Documentaries are the hardest thing ever. I mean, it, it is just so much work. It is a beast of a project and they're not money makers. They are really, you know, projects for, of passion. They're, they're, you know, they're driven by your passion. And, and um, so you, so generally it's, it's, it's not only is it, difficult, especially a, a project that like this, that is so important and has so many facets to it. It's just it, even the, the, the best of the best disagree on what the facts are. So there's so much, you know, there's so much responsibility to get the facts correct and to present mm. a correct picture, because it's really important that we do that. And we have one chance to do that. Mm. Um, is it, you know, we are raising money. You're helping us by being our fiscal sponsor. We've got, you know, we've raised enough to get where we are now. We need more. We need more because mm -hmm. the, the magic happens in editing. We're almost done with uh, over 60 interviews with people that are incredible. You know, all of the, all of the rock stars in this, in this 
you know, industry, Charlene Harrington and Howard Gleckman and Mike Wasserman and Ernst Tosh, you know, and, and Tony Chikatol, the list goes mm -hmm. on and on. We're so proud to have, to be able to amplify all the work they've done and your work, Glory, you know, and so mm -hmm. um, we're, we're finished. We're almost finished. We've got a couple more uh, big days of, of, of uh, shooting coming up, but mm -hmm. then, then all the, the, the real work happens and we still, yeah. we still need financing. And that's why, you know, and, and we're looking for that. That's where we're at. We're, but, and, but whatever this movie will get done, mm -hmm. that's, that's my dedication to it. And that's a fact. Well, it's, you know, it's to raise awareness and it's, it's, you know, a, a public service too to be thinking about how we tell these stories to get the public engaged. Um, Rick, did you want to add? What yes, I, what, what, what I want to add is that Susie and I are thinking big, so we want this movie to be released on an extremely wide basis, okay? And so that's where the, the money comes in with the editing and to, to create the quality of film that can be on a major streaming service or on PBS, uh, because what we want to do is we want to educate the public at large who many of whom don't even want to think about nursing homes, but many of whom don't realize that 90% of the revenue for nursing homes comes from taxpayers. So it's their money that's being used and their money is not being used well. It's not being used for care. We want to get make sure that message gets out to those folks. We also want the film to be a tool to be used to get policymakers, to get legislators, to get uh, our people who are in uh, physicians in agencies that are responsible for quality of care in nursing homes to get them uh, on board, to get them to understand, to, to get them to understand there's a public desire for them to improve quality of care in nursing homes. Mm -hmm. So we have a big vision for this film mm -hmm. uh, in terms of moving the needle. That of course requires funding. So we're so I'm going to be very um, direct and blunt right now and say to your listeners, to the people that are watching is please go to the National Consumer Voice website and click on the documentary button and give whatever you can so that your this your voices can be heard. Uh, that's what we're all about. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yes. yes. And ahead, I was going to add to this that the power just to just to just a little bit more about the power of storytelling is that this this is a story that is a love story it's my mom and she, and it's and it's a beautiful story it's a beautiful it's it's you know it's it's going to be it's going to touch people's hearts and that's how we make changes by touching people's hearts people know that you know there, there's facts been floating around back and forth and you know and i'm not i'm i've been a caregiver for you know 15, 16 years i was a caregiver I didn't mm -hmm. know these facts because they're not sexy. They're not fun. Nobody wants to look at it. So I, I feel very confident that this story will resonate because it's not her story. It's everybody's story. So that's why I think it's going to be powerful. And, you know, in case anyone's wondering, well, how is this going to make any difference? That's the difference. That's mm -hmm. the difference. And and I think what you said is really critical is this is everybody's story. Mm -hmm. It could be anybody's story, any person who 
is living in a long-term care facility, anybody who may need long-term care and services today or at any point in the future. And what we often don't want to think about is needing those for ourselves or for our family, but we all will at some point. And so we want to not only inform ourselves, but we want to ensure that other people don't have those similar experiences. And this is a way that people can support pushing for change in order to improve conditions in long-term care um, so that we know that for our family members, for ourselves, we can get the best care and services possible. Agreed. Agreed. And, and I know that it feels daunting and overwhelming. And people, if you look, just look at the facts, you go, well, come on, how are we going to fight this? It's just, it's bigger than all of us. Like you said, you know, Goliath, but it's like, we can, we've seen those, these kinds of collective right. conscious movements that happen, the Me Too, the, you know, women's vote, everything, you know, they, it's, 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 it can be done. We just need to activate it. That's all. So don't Absolutely. feel, don't feel that we're impotent. We're not impotent. We're stronger than we know. Absolutely. Well, for folks that are listening to learn more about the project or to donate to the, the, the project, to the documentary, you can go to the Consumer Voices website at www.theconsumervoice.org. You can get more information. You can learn more about Susie and Rick. You can get links to their other work to see how talented they are and um, that they really are top of the line. And um, and if anybody's going to make a high quality documentary about these issues, it's going to be Susie and Rick, and we're proud to be supporting and working with you all. So thank you so much for all of your efforts in that. And thanks for joining us today. We're hoping to get the word out and we really can't wait to see the documentary um, when it's complete and, and are so glad to be working with you. Ditto. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. Again, thanks for joining us for Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care today and go to Consumer Voices website at www.theconsumervoice.org to get more information and look for the documentary when it comes out. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us on Pursuing Quality Long-Term Care. This podcast is a program of the National Consumer Voice for Quality Long-Term Care. Make sure to visit our website, theconsumervoice.org slash pursuingquality, where you can subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and find more information and resources. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode.